Hi everyone, I'm Kaylee Bateman with Mixing Light and I'm here today to talk with Fergus Kelly who is an incredibly amazing colorist who I'm just so glad to be here talking with today. I've always admired his work and I'm so excited to hear what he's got to say to shed some light on the daily coloring process but also to talk to me in general about his career and the incredible highlights that he's seen. Uh, working as long as he has in the film and television industry. Um, we worked together a long time ago when you were working as a freelancer and I got to assist you a few times. And I really loved assisting you because you have such an incredible technical mind and you have such a strong grasp of the technology and all of the different parts of the process. Well, thanks. That's a very uh, generous uh, introduction. I appreciate it. Thank you, Katie. I brought you here today to have a little chat with me about Daily's colour processes. You've done a few little movies, and when I say a few little movies, I mean some of the biggest films in the world you've been the Daily's colourist on. Thor, Ragnarok, Black Panther, Lady in the Tramp, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and Thor, Love and Thunder. They're amongst many more on the list of Daily's Colour that you've delivered for some really huge films. I wanted to check with you why Daily's Colour is so important. So many reasons, but I think the most important reason is uh, representing the cinematographer, you know. Their vision at that point should be captured. And because of the process of editing and everyone sitting in front of those pictures for a, uh, an extended amount of time, people become very used to that. And so if we don't feed that with a, a good looking image, you know, we have so much latitude in digital files these days. You can do anything with anything at any point in time, but how the DP felt on the day that they shot it, I think is, you know, kind of key to the ongoing process. Right. And sometimes it really does depend on the film. Uh, how much, for the use of a better term, interference I get involved in. You know, it's like um, sometimes it's just making sure that what is lit uh, is representative as represented as well as possible. Uh, other times there is like um, on Venom, there is a whole a whole process of uh, like a DI process which happens to the image in order to really embellish it with what the DP hoped and dreamed for and hopes for the future of that, that shot. I think that's important. But I also think when you're in the, in the seat as a, a Daily's colorist, it's, it's also you're like this point of uh, reference for the, for the production. So you're not just there to do this color thing. You're there if there's any questions about the image and you're there to give them reassurances or you know, prove or fail stuff. Very rarely have I had to fail anything. But, you know, it's, it's more a case of, is this a problem? We saw this when we were shooting. Can you check it? You check it, you give them feedback. Or it's like VFX are looking at something, they want to come and just review it and see what they can do with the image so that when they take it onto the next stage, they're aware of it. So you just become this sort of like a counselor a little bit to the film sometimes, you know, it's like you're this safe spot that people come to, to just get a bit of reassurance what's happening with the image. And, uh, I think that that's part of, that's part of what I like about the process, you know, with experience, you see, and you see, there's always things you've, that happen cyclically. 
And so when you've seen it before, you can answer those questions fast and you can, you know, deal with people's worries and yeah, it's cool. Just to give everyone a bit of an idea of where the daily's color process sits, when a film is shot, there's a dailies colorist often who is in charge of making sure that everything looks correct so when it's transcoded and proxies are sent off to editorial and basically and, and correct me if, if i'm getting this definition wrong but um because you are absolutely expert but um you're making sure that the look from set is finding its way in either metadata or being transcoded and burnt into images for the editorial process throughout the pipeline that then comes after the shoot yeah so the way i like to to describe it to people and people who've worked with me will have heard this before we're like the pinch in the hourglass so you know everything that happens before the camera and then there's everything that happens after the camera and that's post but at that point the pinch in the hourglass we it, there's a fair amount of pressure there the daily's department has like two there's a, a two levels to it there's the data level which i think is uh pretty much you know probably is, is seen by a lot of people as the primary level because is the data safe has everything been archived is there multiple copies can we clear the camera cards can we strike sets those that level of stuff which is a very sort of production pragmatic side of things is what happens at the sort of core of the or the base of the the dailies process then at the top, the next level, or my level, if you like, the image level, we've got, and depending on the film, and, you know, there isn't always a daily's colorist. Um, sometimes there is a, a dit on set and they are setting color values based on what they see um, and sending CDL values to the lab where they're doing the archiving and they apply those CDLs kind of without any management other than input output you know uh, and they'll qc the renders to see if there's any you know uh sparkle in the image you know if there's any uh sensor dropout or if there's any render issues or anything like that but really there's no creative recourse in that in that setup that's where the dailies colorist comes in and it really depends on the film and it depends on the cinematographer and it depends on the production and how much money they want to spend. You find that the bigger VFX movies, they like to have a daily's colorist because they like to have someone they can call on to say, WTF, what's the image doing? And, mm -hmm. and you can go, well, it's fine. We just, you know, we printed it down a lot today. Oh, okay. So there is plenty in there. Yes, there's plenty in there. That's right. So you're that. really you're really responsible for the negative and for the understanding of the negative in a lot of ways then if they're coming to you with those kind of questions. They're saying, you know, is the neg okay? Are we going to be able to achieve what we have have been asked to achieve with this image? In in the sort of responsibility terms, uh the dit is probably responsible for the negative. Right. Um, but what happens is, is between the dit and the delivery of dailies, the image can change, right? Because there right. could be a grade applied. And so, um, that's where the question would be come from. It's like, um, you know, how much is in there? Because they don't really know. They could, you know, they're, they're just assuming they can always assume the worst, 
almost, but you just say, no, there's plenty in there. So. <laughs> when you're talking about visual effects films, you're often talking about films that have quite a complicated image processing pipeline attached to them and different colour spaces are going to be utilised at different parts of the process to achieve all of the the visual effects and also to achieve, you know, a very cinematic or interesting look. These kinds of films always have very big looks to them, you know, they're not just like a soft touch. Um, so I suppose how much responsibility do you have in understanding that pipe and implementing that pipe? Oh, look, it's um, it really does depend on the film. Um, you know, the bigger films, especially the Marvel films, um, I have the benefit usually of uh, image support from Marvel and image support from probably whoever's doing the DI. A lot of the time what happens in those situations is uh, someone's got a show lot they like and the show lot will get supplied, uh, but the DP will like to just want to make it their own. So there'll be some edits to the lot. Um, and so there's uh, some development happens there on that. And at that point, I then would refer to color scientists like, you know, Matthew Tomlinson or John Cortell or it's all those sorts of people who are, you know, geniuses of this stuff. And they would check the tolerances on my, on my LUTs and make sure that they're good. The wonderful thing is that, you know, particularly Matthew Thomas, a very, a very generous person with their knowledge. So through working with those people, you become, you learn and you learn and you learn. So some films, I'll manage that myself, depending on who, who and what I'm dealing with. Please tell me if this sounds correct. The DIT is going to create a CDL and that CDL is going to come to you. That CDL is going to sit underneath the show lot and then what do you do with it? What happens next? Don't tell the dits, but usually I just look at the stills and I don't apply it. <laughs> um, it really it. does depend on the show as well. You know, um, I, you know, what I do is I usually land it, grade it where I think it looks. I look at their still and then I will load one of their CDLs to see how different I am. Um, and as long as I'm happy that I'm, I feel I can go in the right direction. And also, it's also to see, you know, most of the time, if I'm lucky, and it doesn't happen with everyone, but if I'm lucky, the DP will come and see me at the end of the day and he'll see what I'm doing and he'll go, good. And sometimes he'll make edits. And sometimes he go, let me see what I saw on set. And so I'll show him what he saw on set. And he go, I like this, I, like that, I don't like that, I like this. And then we'll make a decision or we'll land somewhere in the middle. Um, I think if I wasn't able or I didn't establish myself to do that in this role, then I wouldn't get so much from it because I'd be a copy and paste monkey. And that is, you know, for me, probably where I diverge from, you know, being a purist in that sort of sense. So. Yes, I've, I've seen some of your dailies, Greg, and I know that I can't really talk too much about the specifics, but I will say, and I think this is something that doesn't violate any kind of confidentiality, your dailies grades go beyond what I would expect to see from a dailies grade. I'll, I'll just interject there, right? So the, the, the particular show we're talking about, the Venom show, it was quite different to say working on a Marvel show where there's an explicit rule about use of CDLs, right? So I am kind of 
crowbarred into working in a CDL space. Um, that's because VFX pipelines around the world have, uh, you know, uh, scripted workflows that can apply and use those CDL values uh, to make their workflows efficient. As soon as you step beyond CDL values, then you have to have some kind of plugin or something to make it to make those extra colors work. And uh, in the case of the work, the job we did, we used a BLG workflow, which is from Baselight, which allowed us to put more stuff in, you know, whether it all got used, but it allowed us to give us, you know, uh, as an idea, set up, set more of a look. Um, and that particular DP, Robert Richardson, always likes to work like that. So he always wants, he wants full DI kind of vibe. And so that as much as it is a lot of work to take on board, ultimately you get a better result and you get a much more interesting thing to look at. And, you know, I think that that affects creative editorial decisions, all sorts of stuff, you know. Um, whereas if you give someone a generic looking image, I think that that has got to, got to play in the editor's mind, you know, when yeah, they're working. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that, um, I think that you infuse the images with a mood and with a visual language that they otherwise wouldn't have, right? So that can't help but create interesting opportunities for storytelling beyond the edits and beyond, you know, the visual effects. Yeah. And I think that, so the way that we were able to walk around, work around that uh, in some of the Marvel movies is to actually work with developing look LUTs. So what we would do, what we did uh, on Love and Thunder to sort of extrapolate or grow the, um, CDL workflow was to come up with some Baz Idowin, the DP, had some ideas about certain looks he wanted for certain scenes. And so we developed, uh, lookup tables that basically did crazy color transform looks, um, which could be applied on top of the CDL values. And you're talking about an LMT, a look transform? Absolutely. Yeah. And, exactly and that, um, just to fill everyone in, yeah. and please and so, again, correct me if I'm getting this definition wrong, but that is the, the theory behind that is that you're working scene referred and the display transform might be within the LUT or it might be within your color management. And the LMT is going to alter the image without any kind of display transform. It's just a color transform and perhaps a contrast transform, but it's creative. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly it. And um, I've done, I, I did another show down in uh, Melbourne, Better Man, which we did something similar with, which is where we, instead instead of wrapping the show lot and the color transform up into one show lot, we kept them separate and we had an LMT and a, and a show lot. I mean, a, sorry, and a transform lot uh, working into Rec 709, the idea being that you can you could swap out the transform from your Rec 709 to another color space and still maintain the look as a as a independent. Yes, 
part of the process. So that, that, is, that is, I think, an amazing thing to be able to do. And this is what I mean about you being such an incredible technical mind and having such an, an in-depth understanding of the whole production process because you are able to foresee the flexibility needed at the different parts of the production process um, beyond your dailies colour because you're working with really high um, latitude log, probably raw data mostly, and you're then reviewing it for Rec 709 monitoring in, in the context of your dailies colour space. And correct me if I'm wrong there, but I would imagine that you're mostly working in Rec 709 for dailies colour rather than working in a theatre in P3. But I, yeah, I could correct, correct. That seems to be the uh, people prefer that. I, that seems to be the, and you know, there's no. It's all SDR. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, but then what? What you want then is the flexibility of the decisions that you're making being decoupled from those device transforms, and you know, your your work is then more flexible and more useful for different departments who might be working in linear light space or they might be working in an AVID or they might be reviewing things on PICs, you know, in their offices. I think that that's kind of like a, it's just a, a philosophy, really. It's like you want to keep everything as flexible and as soft for as long as possible. That kind of less rendering, more flexibility, um, metadata only kind of stuff is is where it's going, you know. So, yeah. So, um, so all of these files that we're talking about are all sidecar kind of metadata files. Absolutely. You know, yeah. CDL and LMT a lot. They might get baked into the image to create the dailies output for the executives to watch and for on set people to watch, and they they will get baked in for editorial but that they will be metadata that accompanies the NEG and there will be information that helps the DI and the VFX vendors to match up that grade to that shot as it moves through all of its steps. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the golden goal, right? Absolutely. It's, um, and I think that that's what our friends at Filmlight have tried to do with BLG. Um, yeah. There doesn't which is, seem which is to, more complicated, right? Well, it's 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 not. It's not. It just seems complicated because right. it's it's um, you know it's it's the only thing in that space that can do that sort of thing. So basically, something that can transport more than just CDR values and can accompany us accompany the shot everywhere. Which you know, in a in a perfect world. You get your, your raw data, you archive it, you then stream that raw data to the cloud in its raw form, you make your color decisions, send those into the cloud in a raw, and then they just get pulled to the Avid as raw even, and the color data sits above it like a lookup table, a soft version of, which means that someone wants to update something, they just update the metadata and the, the stuff in the Avid changes. Um, and the same, it's like if someone wanted to watch, the dailies wanted to be watched by a studio exec on whatever streaming service that they call it, and today's grade version gets applied to it when they watch it on their laptop or whatever, you know? 
Um, right. You know, that idea that everything is just that, that, that rendering can, the creation of the stuff that you don't need and, the, you know, filling up drives with data that you don't need and, and taking up the time because I think that, you know, aside from the archive process and getting your rushes on LTO, it's the time of rendering the dailies. I think we're lucky now with processing power. I think, yes, if we were, you know, five years ago, rendering was an absolute pain, but today we can render it, you know, 80, 120 frames a second. And it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's like we're in a different, we're in a different world than we were. So rendering isn't, it's more just that flexibility of being able to um, change things on the fly and not have things baked in, you know, um, so that things can change easier. Metadata flies around, different applications like VFX, as you say, can say, this is what they did. Okay, right, you know, and if there's changes while it was in the edit, once, it, once you know, because... Once you start cutting things together, there's always going to be tweaks and changes, right? Um, because there just is, you know. Um, and so, but those tweaks and changes could exist as metadata that just pops back up in. So when the DI comes, those changes are already in the DI. Actually, that gets to another another question that I've got for you, which is um, how how much of what you're doing is trying to create those cut points like it must be so difficult when you've got a very long shot and they might use you know one second of it to know what section to match to that to another shot right yeah yeah it's 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 i have a yeah yes <laughs> well especially <laughs> when you're working in a cdl situation with no dynamics and you just all you've got is um you know one set of numbers you have to pick some points especially if it's like uh, oh we go indoors and then we go outdoors so sometimes they'll do ask for two passes, but very rarely. So you just have to either find some medium, which is usually a compromise, um, and then that will be fixed later. Uh, but when I work with Rob, Bob Richardson, he's like, you know, I'm full dynamics, chasing things. The fact that the software is designed to track little shots, I'm, I'm, ch I'm chasing someone's face over like a minute and a half of a blooming scene because... They walk in behind a, you know, a, a pillar and then out behind a pillar and then down a corridor and then, and, you know, yeah. That, that. That's incredible. So <laughs> when, when you do that kind of a grade with Bob and you're looking at absolutely everything in the frame and you're treating it like a DI, is he coming to you at the end of the day? So he's just done his, his shoot day and he's sitting with you for a few hours in, in the evening. No, so the way it works is it's a sort of, it's a, it's a flow throughout the day. Um, right. So, uh, and really it would depend on shooting schedule uh, when, when things happen. But quite often it'll be, if I haven't seen him before call, I'll see him pretty soon in the morning after the first setup and we'll look at the first setup for the day there and then in the van on set. Um, and we will set a look for that setup. Um, and at that point, if I'm, he has a window, enough window, I might show him something I did the day before, or I might save that for a review that we'll do at the end of the day um, for maybe, I might have him for between half an hour and an hour um, to go through all the different shots, uh, 
from the different scenes. Yeah. Right. And does that mean then that you get to avoid the scourge of Daly's colour, which is the crazy hours and working overnight? Well, that's the wonderful thing about that work process is that you work. Uh, I mean, it's a long day because I usually start before call and end a good hour after call. So it's not a short day, but it's a day and it's a, it's alongside everyone else in the production. So, um, you know, it feels, feels a little more like you're, the inertia of the team uh, keeps you going, you know? Right, so, right. Whereas when you're sitting by yourself in the middle of the night, which, I, which I've done a few, a few times, um, it does, that is, that is the least glamorous part of Daily's Colour. It is absolutely. And um, that is a reason why I think a lot of people don't last at it for a, while, for a long time. It can be a job that people do once. And absolutely. they say, that's, that's it. <laughs> I'm uh, absolutely and and i totally get it but i would say that everyone should everyone who wants to be a colorist should do it at least once just I because you you will be exposed to more images than you will be in any other way so you'll be and your eyes and your reaction time and your motor skills will just accelerate um because you will be, you'll do a lot of repetition, um, but your ability to see things and respond to them quickly will just be so much better. So much better. It's like you're getting your 10,000 hours and you're doing it in an intensity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're also, you know, the kinds of films that do get Daly's colour are typically the larger films that have the better cinematographers attached to them. So you're, you're not looking at just any old image intensively. You're looking at some of the best images intensively. Yeah, yeah. And I've been lucky to work with some incredible cinematographers, you know. So, and that for me, that's my, that, that feeds something which, you know, and I think I really like being part of a team, yeah. you know, and I think that when you're a freelance colorist, um, you definitely can feel a little bit like, uh, well, it's you sort of, a lot of the time, commercials definitely, you feel like you come in sort of at the end of a process, right? Um, and so you don't feel, and it's a, that's a very short period of time. Um, when I go on a, do dailies on a, on a film, I sit with a team for three or four months and I make friends and I have bonds with people and, you know, life changes because of those connections and, that's pretty, that's pretty important to me because, you know, there isn't a, a hub of colorists in Australia. You know, we are, there's, we're a desperate bunch. And, <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there, there's some really talented and clever people in this country. But I think we're all like, we're also just off doing our own thing. And there's, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say this because I didn't really want to refer to a previous interview, but when you were talking to Vincent on the last oh, interview, sure. um, I just, and he's at Harbour and he's, you know, he's there and he's got all that support and and people to discuss things with. And, you know, that's, that's always been the most important thing for me. And these dailies jobs is like, you know, yeah, I get to talk to one of the best color scientists on the planet. Yeah. Um, I get to have, I get to troubleshoot new problems in image workflow with, 
you know, these people. And then it, that's, that stuff's exciting. But that stuff's happening here in Australia, but we're all just working it out by ourselves, it feels like. And there's no one to support each other. Or, you know, maybe there is, but it's just like, I'd really like to come up with a solution where yeah. we can have that space for us all. There's a lot. I, I, I've always had a problem with knowledge is king. I like sharing knowledge. And yeah, I, think that, I, think, I think most people do like to share knowledge. And I haven't got the answer. I haven't got the answer. But I do feel like that we, as a group of uh, image professionals, could raise our international presence um, if we could unify in some way. You know, having these conversations and, you know, um, making them a bit more public and, you know, that everyone's, everyone's knows, knows a good chunk of it, you know, but not everyone knows all of it. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts in a daily situation, right? And there's, there is often, I don't think there has been a show that I have worked on that there hasn't been some minor fuck up, right? Which is like, you know, some bit of metadata was missed off a fucking something or, um, you know, the, the wrong, the wrong, uh, framing was applied to, uh, a bunch of rushes or something, stuff that happens, you know, that, as, as we've gone and developed in the working process of dailies, we've worked out these problems happen a lot. And now there is automation that stops a lot of these things happening. I should add, I'm just using those as examples, but, um, every now and then there's a fuck up, but if you go to, you know, editorial or you go to the post-production supervisor and you say we found this problem we'll have it fixed then there's never a problem they're just like oh, okay thanks for letting us know and it's like we'll replace the, the data and that's it problem done you know um it's just i think that everyone in is always scared to fuck up man everyone is scared to make a mistake and life is just not that's not life that's not real you know we are we're you know shit happens man shit happens mistakes happen and um if you go into a situation putting yourself under that extra pressure uh to be completely perfect then you, then you're just gonna fucking have anxiety 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 <laughs> anxiety that's amazing advice. That is absolutely amazing advice, Fergus. I think that um, that's something to live by. <laughs> we're, we're all going to make a mistake, but, you know, there's always also a solution. And I think, honestly, every time I've made a really big whopper, I've learned a huge amount. It's painful, but it is actually the way forward. Yeah, but also, you, you know what? You, the work you had to do to dig yourself out of it was where the real lesson was, right? Exactly, so exactly. Like, you know, so it's like this beautiful, it's a beautiful lesson at the end of it. Yeah. So, you know, as tough as it's been, and you're still alive today to tell the story. Yeah. No one died. We survived. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what, <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. It's true. We put ourselves under immense pressure. Um, and I think that in dailies, like you were talking about earlier when you referred to it as the pinch point of the hourglass, there is an immense amount of pressure there because you're also responsible for the DOP's image during the dailies process and those people who are viewing the dailies. 
And I think that especially at the start of a shoot, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just speaking from my experience here. At the start of a shoot, there is a real sense of needing to make sure that everybody is well represented to the key stakeholders, yeah. that this production is going to be as as planned, as sold, as pitched, on time, to budget, and exceeding creative expectations. Yeah. And if something goes wrong with the dailies colour and the dailies are screened incorrectly, it can be disastrous, I think, for the DP and for the confidence in the pictures. And at the end of the day, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars being spent to create these pictures. So the confidence needs to be very high. And I wondered if you could talk about the relationship with the DP in that context and, you know, how important is it to have their back? And I suppose I already know the answer is very important, but if you could maybe... Um, well, again, I think it, it, goes, it goes back to the stuff I was saying earlier about you not just being a colorist in those yeah. situations. So what you've got to do is you present yourself as the eyes. So you make sure you look at all the deliverables and you double check those deliverables against what you saw in your suite. Um, and at some point you've got to, you've got to go, okay, the process is working, but definitely in that first two weeks, you keep an eye on that stuff. You know, um, you look at the picks and you look at the avid and you make sure that the, calibration on that on the monitors in the editorial is as good as or close to your own um you can't control what people look at the pics on hopefully they look at it on an ipad pro or something that's at least in a decent space um but you know again you've got a whole lot of things that you have to deal with there there's always questions about compression and all that sort of stuff that happens especially if you've got a movie like the ones I like to make with, I like with a little bit of balls in the blacks anyway. And, um, but you know, it's, uh, I think it's, it's at that point and you have to be ready to be called into people's rooms and walk into there with, not necessarily an air of confidence, but with your mind on the problem and not your mind on it's your problem. Um, so you walk in the room because they're looking at you, at to know that it's right or wrong. They're not necessarily looking to blame you if it's wrong. So if you walk into a room and you see that the image is wrong, you then say, that doesn't look right. And you think about it and you work out backwards in your mind what the process is and you'll, you'll solve the problem, right? So, um, but I think it's like, again, it's all those things. It's just try not to be kind to yourself in those situations. Uh, really? yeah, yeah yeah no totally totally yeah. couldn't agree more um so can you tell me a little bit about when your job starts and when it finishes oh yeah <laughs> and sure. does it finish uh look uh, sadly on some movies it definitely finishes absolutely right. definitely finishes and uh you know and maybe after four months of stuff you're happy it finished, you know, <laughs> um, not, not, not just because it's been a lot, not because of anything else, just because it was a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of course, of course. But there are some projects I definitely would like to have gone on longer or to go all the way to the end, you know, and I think that that's where I am now. I mean, so, so basically like a big, a big feature film, like a big, sorry, a VFX film, like 
um, like a Marvel film, I know that as soon as Dallas is over, that's kind of that's gone. I'm not. I probably won't see that again. Uh, it won't be part of my life. Uh, there'll be a whole machine that it goes into, and next time I'll see it, it'll be in the movie theater. Um, and sometimes I walk in there, and I sometimes I walk in there, and I go, oh, that looks like what I did. And sometimes yeah, yeah, I go, yeah, sometimes I go, oh, they changed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, you go, so, you know, it's like, it's a 50, not even 50 feet. I don't even know what the score is on that one, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's always interesting. But I think where, where things are technologically and where I feel I am experienced now, I feel like I'm in a position where I want to, I, I want to do it all. I want to do, I want to do the dailies and look after the DP and have that conversation and be there for him doing that. And then I want to walk that film to the end and finish it, you know? And, that's, and that does happen, even though it is extremely uncommon in the more CDL-based world of dailies where it's, you know, mm. you get the CDL from the DIT, you apply it, and then you might make a few tweaks for consistency and send it along. In, in the kind of world that you're describing where you're having much more of an in-depth experience with the dp there are a lot of relationships that have crossed over it, even though it used not to be the case i think now there is far more acceptance of a crossover between those roles i mean that's my hope right that's my hope look and i think that that's just to put my experience in context a lot of people do dailies and then become finishers i kind of was finishing commercials and stuff and, you know working as a a finishing colorist in Melbourne freelance when an opportunity from a friend turned up to go and work on Thor Ragnarok because he needed someone in Australia. It was a friend from LA. He did someone in Australia to look after this film, a colorist that he trusted. So I got involved then and that's when I started to make friends in this space. Um, and so it's, uh, it's been an, a, a, a a different like rebranding and now I'm trying to rebrand myself out of it again to be a finishing colorist if that makes sense yes yes so yeah. you know instead of starting off doing the dailies grind that I think a lot of people do or at least used to I don't know how much now that's still a case but there, there definitely used to be a feeder from dailies into finishing like you would go and sort of work in the trenches at one of the major studios in Sydney or the Gold Coast and you might do that for a few years until mm. you couldn't stand it anymore and in that time you make relationships with the DPs and you start to develop your chops and you know um, get get the skills that you need to to be the finishing colorist whereas you kind of flip that on its head and you're, you're a very um, celebrated and, and busy finishing colorist who happened into the extremely high end of dailies in Australia and kind of are known now for that. You know, I think there, there definitely is an appetite now for dailies colorists to go through and be responsible for the final color. Um, but like you say, you know, just making people aware of that and making it work in the local market is, is the next step and the next challenge that you face. Absolutely. So what, what do you see as, as being the outcome or the, or the way through that? Well, I think the way through is just, you know, I would like to, you know, I want to reassure cinematographers that I'm going to look after them. Um, that's 
primarily that and that when uh, production gets you on board, that they know that someone is going to hold their image and look after their image all the way to the end, you know? Now, um, I'm even in a situation where I don't necessarily even have to finish the end, you know? But I would like to be the person that looks after that image and makes sure that whoever finishes it is finishing it properly, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I'm flexible how that could work. Um, I just have a passion for pipeline. Um, I have a passion for looks. And I think that sitting with any DP for any amount of time, I reckon that I can offer them great support, you know? Mm. I feel like, and this is something I've been discussing recently, is that maybe there needs to be a slight shift in the responsibility of who takes ownership of dailies as far as the production goes. Dailies sit in a weird space. As far as financing for dailies goes, it comes from the production. And the production, as I said earlier to you, is is primarily concerned about are the pitches safe? Are they going, uh, can we strike sets? Can we clear cards, right? Post, obviously, very concerned about the image. And the DP is very concerned about the image. It kind of makes sense to me that dailies should probably be either post-budget, but the problem is is then the post-budget is often where the deficits are, right? right? So maybe it should be the DPs, it should be in camera department. A camera department right. should take ownership of it, and that means they would also have ownership of it, you know? And so that they basically are supplying the rest of the pipeline with images from camera rather than going through this sort of island that is created by the way that uh, dailies is put together. Often dailies is pitched with the finishing team. You know, the bigger post houses in LA often put their dailies team in place. But, you know, we're, we, in this country, we're in a slightly different dynamic to that, you know? And I think being the Davids to the Goliaths in that, this situation, we need to try and manipulate or work out a way that is good for our local market to work with anyone. And right. sort of, you know? Right, um, I see what you're saying there, because often what will happen with Australia in particular is that we will see a large international production like the ones that Fergus has done dailies for. We'll see the production happen in Australia, so in the Fox Studios in Sydney or on the Gold Coast in the Warner Brothers um, Village Road Show Studios there. Um, but then after the production has wrapped, it's photography oftentimes the post-production is then taken back closer to the studio headquarters, whether they be in London or LA, and the completion of the post is done there in a way that I suppose is more manageable for the studio. Um, but we we do have extremely talented, as, as you can tell by speaking with Fergus, we have extremely talented local professionals who 
you know, I think studios more and more are looking at taking advantage of the dollar difference and the um, the government reinvestment deals that are available in Australia for large productions. Um, and, and we may see more finishing happening in Australia in the future. So, you know, having having people who can do that and can do that well, I think is going to be crucial to getting the global confidence in us as a as a you know really talented creative place to come and finish your film. I think that's beautifully put, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's very succinct. I love that. I'd love to bring it back to the day to day for one final question for you, um, which is, what what do you use? to do your dailies colour, is there a particular software or hardware and do you have a preference for any of them? Well, they definitely have a preference, but I use all sorts of things, to be honest with you. Um, uh, I've used uh, base, uh, base light, daylight, so they're kind of interchangeable. Um, mm-hmm. I've used uh, OSD from Colourfront and I've used Resolve from Blackmagic. Right. Um, they all have their they all have their idiosyncrasies and they all have their strengths. Um, my personal preference is the daylight base light setup. Um, I think the color management for a start in there is superior. That's a great starting point for a colorist and an image person. Uh, I just I just think it's yeah it it solves a lot of problems and gives you a lot of confidence. Um, so once you know that's dealt with, you can kind of get on with your job, but the the actual managing uh, multiple cameras, multiple days, multiple scenes, um, be able to sort, search, reference, do all that. It's just hands down so much easier and so much smarter in uh, the film-like gear than it is in any other piece of software. If I have four cameras, I can call up the metadata on the four cameras, have them locked by time code. So I'm looking at the same frame from four different angles. I can match them all. I can then peel it all out into all the takes for each of the different cameras, match all those, pick another take, then rematch back to the four different angles and make sure they're still all four the same. And I can do it so fast and so furiously that I'm, it's just, it just actually makes the pleasure to do um whereas if i'm trying to work out where was that where was that um shot uh, from the uh, and where's the other role uh fuck it's in another timeline and you know it's just like it just becomes just this a head fuck in in a lot of other software um uh you know i, I think i i resolve for finishing and doing that sort of stuff is is really I'm not, I'm not going to say Resolve is bad, but OSD for me is very much uh, about processing power and about making do, doing things fast and like churning and burning. And it doesn't feel like it's a tool that you can finesse with. Um, uh, and so when, you, when you're working in space light, daylight, oh, sorry, when film light, daylight, um, you're, you're creating what we were talking about before, which is a BLG grade. And within that grade, you can hold your base grade, any of your other base light operators. You can hold That's true, your but shapes. It can do that, but also we can drive it just as a CDL grading system. 
you know, which right. is what. So you don't what, have to do all of that. So it's when it comes to just doing the, uh, you know, the wonderful thing about the base light tool is you can build these layers, which are, you know, specific for a job. So you can build your, each layer can be, you know, layer one and two can have just the tools you need for that particular job. And that you can template your a whole thing to work super tight, you know, with media import to, tools and, uh, framing setup in there is amazing there's just a whole lot of you know formats auto formats that load the right frame lines all that stuff that i touched on earlier that's now they just do it in such a way that is super intuitive and um yeah, yeah that's got to so, be so useful it's got to be so so much um you've got to be able to rely on your program especially when you're doing long hours and there's room for human error. absolutely like, absolutely yeah. um and uh, and so yeah, so you can have that, and it'll just spit out a ALE with CDL values in at the end. You know, it's not; it doesn't wow. have to be a whole overcomplicated. But the wonderful thing about the daylight system is, is that it has all the tools that a base light has, so you can go that whole way. And if the DP walks in, and even if you don't use them, and a DP walks in, you can build him whatever look he wants, and do. You, yeah. He might say, "Why was if we throw a shape around this to that?" And he go, "Okay, can you send me still of that?" And he'll just, that's it. It'll only ever last as a still. And he'll have that as a reference in his thing. And when he walks to the DI, he said, I liked it when it looked like this. Yes. You know? So. Um, and so do, can you tell me how, like, I suppose without being in the DI, you don't know necessarily, but you you do have some overlap with the DI colorists and you do have relationships with the, the finishers who take over the dailies on especially these jobs that you've been more integral in creating a look for you you do have an overlap and you do sort of hand over your baby at the end of dailies yeah do, do they use that as a starting point the first two jobs i did with bob which were a private war and venom there was definitely a handover um the colorist uh, matt watson who finished uh, private war was colorist in london and him and i talked about you know we discussed how we were going to approach the grade and you know the different how we wanted to do our uh you know order of operations as far as color process went so we just you know we started off from the beginning it was a it was a dialogue from the start and again the same uh venom was supposed to be initially was Ivan lucas was going to do the venom but then elodie came in and I had to fly back here uh, to start Changshi, and so she came in and finished um, some of the Venom dailies, and she ended up finishing the job. So her and I had a whole discussion at that point. Ivan and I had the discussion at the beginning, then we had a handover where I talked us through all my stuff that I'd been doing for the past three months, and then she finished it off and took the film to the finish line. So you know, yeah, those jobs. Excellent. I love that dialogue. You know, it's a, it's a, there's a, again, it's just a part of being included, included. In yeah. And I think that in the service of the pictures as well, because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about who does what it's making sure that the pictures are put first through this whole incredibly complicated process that we I do. like your utopian attitude I'm there <laughs> but I think there are other people that would disagree with us so <laughs> right right well they're not talking to us right now so we don't care <laughs> 
But honestly, I mean, it can't it can't be a bad thing to have multiple people who have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, and very sharp eyes helping to to take those images and and move them through that. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. You know, I think that that's why you know a lot of these bit bigger films end up having multiple colorists on them. You know, they have an they have a they have a senior colorist that oversees everything, and then there's other guys underneath her and everyone does the work senior colorist has the the final word to say that needs to be this or this needs to be that and i think it should be this or you know and i think that that's mm. i think that's 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 the way they think should should be yeah yeah i one thousand percent agree with you on that yeah. i've 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 also had the privilege of being in color teams and seeing what you can get out you know it's much greater than the sum of its parts if everybody's respectful and collaborating in a in a respectful manner, so mm. um, so oh gosh, I could talk to you about this literally forever, um, <laughs> but I know that you're a very busy person, um, and you've been extremely generous in explaining some of these concepts. And I think um, th- there might be a few questions um, in the comments section when this goes up. Uh, about some of the terms that we've used so please let me know if you need anything clarified I'd, I'd be very happy to do that for whoever's listening or watching right now um, because we kind of did a, a, a deep dive there into the process and a lot of a lot of three-letter acronyms came it was definitely out. a deep dive into my dark and dark and dim mind but you know there we <laughs> well I, I love that I love it any day of the week Fergus you're an absolute delight and I Thanks, can't stress so enough kind. just just how incredibly smart and experienced you are and how lucky I am to to have this access to be able to speak to you today about it so oh, it's um, been a pleasure to chat I really have enjoyed it thank you very much for asking me um and also, you know, I'm always around if you ever need to chat so Great. Well, we'll do a follow-up and, and um, a year from now and see see what's changed. Yeah, um, we'll see. Well, for now, know, <laughs> we're all constant, constantly evolving. Absolutely, like like this whole industry is. I mean, I think once you once you get to the end of a film, you work out how you should be doing it, and then it's all different for the next one. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, That's a hundred percent true. For Mixing Light, I'm Kaylee Bateman, and this has been a conversation with Fergus Kelly. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.